sponsored by the Longmont Public Library. I'm Barb, your host for this episode, and with me are Jana. Hello. And Josie. Hi. To discuss our latest pick, The Last Town on Earth by Thomas Mullen. And spoiler alert, once again, we will be discussing this book in its entirety. So if you haven't finished reading The Last Town on Earth yet, you might want to come back to this episode when you've done so. Let's start with a brief summary of the book from its publisher, and then a little bit about the author from his website. Set against the backdrop of one of the most virulent epidemics that America ever experienced, the 1918 flu epidemic, Thomas Mullen's powerful, sweeping first novel is a tale of morality in a time of upheaval. Deep in the mist-shrouded forests of the Pacific Northwest is a small mill town called Commonwealth, conceived as a haven for workers weary of exploitation. For Philip Worthy, the adopted son of the town's founder, it is a haven in another sense, as the first place in his life he's had a loving, loving family to call his own. And yet, the ideals that define this outpost are being threatened from all sides. A world war is raging, and with the fear of spies rampant, the loyalty of all Americans is coming coming under scrutiny. Meanwhile, another shadow has fallen across the region in the form of a deadly illness striking down vast swaths of surrounding communities. When Commonwealth votes to quarantine itself against contagion, guards are posted at the single road, leading in and out of town, and Philip Worthy is among them. He will be unlucky enough to be on duty when a cold, hungry, tired, and apparently ill soldier presents himself at the town's doorstep begging for sanctuary. The encounter that ensues and the shots that are fired will have deafening reverberations throughout Commonwealth, escalating until every human value, love, patriotism, community, family, friendship not to mention the town's very survival, is imperiled. Inspired by a little-known historical footnote regarding towns that quarantined themselves during the 1918 pandemic, the last town on earth is a remarkably moving and accomplished debut. Now a bit about the author. Thomas Mullen is the author of The Last Town on Earth, which was named Best Debut Novel of 2006 by USA Today, was a Chicago Tribune Best Book of the Year, and was awarded the James Fenimore Cooper Prize for Excellence in Historical Fiction. Since the publication of The Last Town on Earth, Mullen has given lectures and readings to universities and community libraries, some of which have chosen The Last Town on Earth for their One Book, One Community, or Freshman Reads projects. And he's also attended literary festivals and the Chicago Humanities Festival. Mullen was born and raised in Rhode Island, graduated from Oberlin College in Ohio. He's lived in Boston, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and Washington, D.C. And I just couldn't resist adding his quirky bio from his website. Thomas Mullen lives a deceptively quiet life not far from downtown Atlanta. While SUVs drive by and dogs bark and the locals suspect not a thing, he commits murders, spins wildly convoluted conspiracy theories, travels through time, reinvents the past, resurrects the dead, falls in love with women of his own invention, imperils young children, unleashes plagues, wages war, saves lives, dangles participles, and invents new metaphors. Most of his sentences contain verbs. (laughs) I just love that paragraph. Okay, so initial impressions, uh, ratings for this book. Um, I don't mind going first, uh, and I have to confess that uh, this for me is not an initial impression because I this is a reread for me of The Last Town on Earth. Uh, the library hosted a uh, centennial of World War One book group a couple years back, starting about, oh, Gosh, about a year and a half before the actual centennial of World War One in 2018. And uh, so we had a series of books, and we had the group meet about every other month during that uh, year and a half. And this was one of the books that was on uh, the docket for uh, that particular book group. So I've read it before. And uh, that was before, obviously, our own encounter with an epidemic, pandemic. Um, and so for me, this reread was pretty astonishing. I I can remember my initial impression 
of the book, I probably would have given it three and a half stars. Uh, and, and maybe that was because I lacked some personal perspective on what he was conveying, um, not having lived through some kind of thing like the Spanish flu before. But this reread, um, it was much more immediate, much more gut-wrenching, uh, even though I was prepared, obviously, having read it before, for encountering those characters and their predicaments ahead of time. It just it just had a force that it didn't have before. Um, I could enter into the panic and the not knowing and the um, just just all around everything has been upended. What do I do now feeling that the book really, really um, artfully conveys. So I got to give it like 5.2 stars now because <laughs> it's just it just blew me out of the water this time. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Jana, your your thoughts? I I disagree a little bit. I I guess <laughs> it's ahead. a subjective experience, and <laughs> I've been giving uh, pretty high marks to a lot of our books. I f- mm-hmm. I usually find something of interest in most of what I read, and mm-hmm. I did find looking at the uh, Spanish influenza through the lens of having lived through a recent pandemic mm-hmm. to be pretty interesting and. For that reason, I also um, I'm going to give it three stars because I <laughs> I did learn some things about uh, the history of the time period with mm-hmm. the First World War, the labor movement that was going on at the time, right. other things that he weaves in, and the author's note is pretty interesting. He did a lot of research for this book. Right. However, I I give it three stars because I didn't find it very gripping or mm-hmm. compelling. It's slow paced. And that. Yeah. he focuses a lot on dialogue. And I think he does a good job of writing that but his writing, I didn't find um, beautiful or moving the way that other writers have written about pandemics. And I have to say that I read uh, Connie Willis's doomsday book. And oh, I was yeah. just in tears reading that book. I remember sitting on the sofa and this was just bef- this was many years ago so mm-hmm. before i had lived through a pandemic but she writes about the black plague and that one really hit home for me whereas this one i didn't feel like he fully fleshed out all the characters mm-hmm. um it's a very male centric read i mm. feel like the women were not fully engaged and I wanted to hear more from the women's perspectives. Mm -hmm. Um, Another Colorado author who also has written about a pandemic or the post-pandemic period is Peter Heller. Oh, yeah. And The Dog Stars Stars. is an exceptionally gripping read as Mm -hmm. well, set on a future uh, front range that has been decimated from another virus. Mm -hmm. And so for that reason, I'm just going to say, if you're going (laughs) to read a plague book, um, in my mind, I... I would recommend one of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Josie? Um, Jana, yeah, pretty much said everything I was going to say. So <laughs> thanks, Jana. <laughs> uh, I, I did feel it was slow. Um, I was not invested terribly in the characters. Um, not sure why. I'm not sure why. I just wasn't. Um, and like you, I read the Doomsday book, and I remember just bawling mm. in bed. You know, and it, mm-hmm. it, there was... Um, I don't know, immediacy to that, that, that I just didn't find in this one. Um, mm-hmm. I, I did find it interesting as far as the subject matter. He covered a lot of stuff, you know, war and uh, conscious, conscientious objectors. Oh, yeah. Goodness oh, gracious, yeah. I can't say that word. COs. Mm-hmm. Um, That's mm-hmm. uh, Labor rights and um, the area, a very beautiful area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't even get, like... That area is gorgeous. Yes. And I didn't feel that gorgeousness. Yeah. He tried a couple times, but it never... It didn't click. I just didn't feel it there. Um, So, yeah, three stars for me, too. Okay. Well, let's jump into the discussion, and I have to give a shout-out here to Lit Lover's website for their excellent discussion questions. We borrowed a few that they recommended and added at least one of our own. So, thanks to Lit Lover's. I recommend them highly. 
First question is, the Commonwealth quarantine is rife with moral ramifications. What are its consequences? Was Charles's decision reasonable? What would you have done in his place? Who wants to jump in first? Mm. <clears throat> I mean, I, th- I, think, I think it was sort of reasonable, and he was, you know, he was, I, I think he did, was trying to do the right thing. Absolutely, but yes. you have to really trust your people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and trust that everybody has the common good at, in mind. Right. And we find out that not everyone did. There were things yes. that pulled them away from the common good mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to sneak into Timber Falls and get sick and bring it back. Mm-hmm. So he was naive, I think. Um, I think that's accurate. <laughs> you know, they, they, they posted guards to ward off invaders, but they, it was from within that they crumbled. Right. So uh, I think Charles was, was naive in what he was trying to do, but I, I mean, I admire that, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's a hard decision to make. (laughs) Absolutely. And, and he didn't make it alone either, which Mm -hmm. I admired as well, that it, 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 you know, they brought in the community and the community voted and, and, but they didn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a slam dunk. There were plenty of people who were objecting to it, including mm-hmm. his own wife, mm-hmm. even though she kind of bit her tongue yeah. while the whole debate was going on. <sighs> yeah, so it, it it was not an easy sell, but everybody eventually agreed that this is what we're going to do. Yeah, and and yet, like you said, there were cracks in it from the beginning. It seems as though, um, yeah, blocking the road to incoming traffic may have been effective, but mm-hmm. nobody thought about the path around through the woods down to Timber Falls, which, which obviously some people were using regularly. Right. They, they didn't really, didn't really. And it made me that. think of, uh, there was another podcast that I had listened to in the last couple of years. Um, it's called Cautionary Tales and Tim Hartford um, mm. is the, the narrator, the podcaster. And he did talk about, and I'm going to, I'm not going to get the word right. I thought it was Eli, but it's, Elam, I think. It's in England, a town in England. Oh, and yeah. they were known kind of as the plague village. Um, mm-hmm. So during one of the numerous bubonic plagues, yes. they they were infected with a cloth that had come in. Mm-hmm. And what they decided, the, the doctor and I think the minister and the whole town, that we are going to quarantine ourselves, not from outside. Mm-hmm. But we are going to save the outside mm-hmm. and and stay in our town. We are not going to leave for any reason. Mm-hmm. And people brought them. So there was like a stone mm-hmm. where they would put their money, mm-hmm. and then people from outside the town would come and give the food, put the food on the stone, and take the money. Right. And and everybody did it, mm-hmm. and a lot of them died. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they said we're going to sacrifice ourselves so this doesn't spread to the nearby towns, mm-hmm. and that. That's is real compassion. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how mm-hmm. they manage that, mm-hmm. but that's yeah. incredible, right? Yeah, and you see in this novel the kind of the flip side, the isolationism, which itself is a metaphor for the larger war, right? Oh, the yeah. U.S.'s isolationism mm-hmm. and the pacifist, you know, the pacifism movement that was going on. The U.S. not wanting to get involved in mm-hmm. Churchill's war. Right. I think is what they were calling oh, yeah. it in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So this was a European conflict. It's none of our business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And the um, and then every man for himself mentality or philosophy, which you know comes to Philip in that vision that he has of the of Frank. Um, he has a delusion when he's ill, mm-hmm. and in the delusion he sees Frank and. His philosophy is like, forget about the next guy. It's all about you. Mm. And, mm-hmm. you know, Philip kind of questions that mentality. But I think that that's a pretty big theme in this book. And like you said, it was founded by this really idealistic businessman, Charles Worthy. Mm-hmm. And the author points out in his footnote that um, the Pacific Northwest was a haven for utopias and visions um, there was a socialist commune there. Mm-hmm. Um, he said many radicals went to the Northwest to form communities. Mm-hmm. And so 
they're already kind of pulling away from the rest of the world ideologically. Right. So I just thought, you know, there's many kind of concentric circles here mm-hmm. to talk oh, about. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Consequences go way beyond just we're going to sit here until this is over. I mean, they, mm-hmm. you know, like some of the things that we've experienced in the last couple of years with, um, uh, you know, people saying, oh, this will this will last maybe, you know, a few weeks, maybe right. a month, and then life will be back to normal. And uh, that, um, I don't know, overconfidence in, in predicting how a pandemic is going to roll out was uh, kind of one of those un- unintended consequences in, in the book and, and mm-hmm. also something we've lived through mm-hmm. um, that, you know, when we don't totally understand uh, how we're going to get to the end. Um, we just want to hurry get, through it. Exactly. And we desperately want normal back, which isn't ever going to come back. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it kind of plays out in the book, too. But, you know, uh, Charles Worthy put a lot of people, well, the whole town, he put the whole town at risk when he and the doctor, Baines, uh, you know, kind of got together, thought about it, just decided, well, we can hold out for two months. I think we've got enough supplies for that. And, and when that didn't work, uh, many people were thrown into panic, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, getting into the store and clearing <laughs> the shelves out. The garden sign, yeah. They ransacked the, the gardens. Yeah. And, and there's yeah. obviously somebody's hoarding the food and it starts to raise suspicions amongst neighbors yeah. about, you know, what do you got in your, your, your root cellar down there? Right. Uh, yeah. You have two cows in your yeah, pasture. Exactly. You'd be fine. You start to see the unintended consequences yeah. of that bad prediction. Um, and like you said, Jenna, the isolationism, it even goes into the homes, right? Mm, People mm. become, we're just staying in our houses and we're not going out. We're not going to yeah. help this neighbor. Or they we're didn't check on yeah, the they old didn't lady make next food. door. Yeah, yeah, they didn't. And mm-hmm. But when you think about how we reacted in our own time of yeah. pandemic, we were told stay inside, mm-hmm. don't, don't go anywhere, socialize, don't right. help people. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You know, so there's a lot of similarities and something that, that really that I felt deeply in this book was the um, experience of suffering that Mm. was more pronounced in that time period where it was localized in the home and in the community, the way I don't think it ever really hit us because Mm. death was removed to the hospital Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. instead of it happening in your own home. Right. And yeah, I mean the, the suffering that the families experienced was just immense and I think that for us having the removal of our sick family members or or community members like enabled us to have a little bit more detachment from the current pandemic even though it has has killed so many Americans Mm -hmm. um like it's a staggering number of people that have died we're reaching like I looked it up and it said as of yesterday it was 5,944,342 worldwide deaths. Mm -hmm. Um, And then of U.S. deaths, it was 945,688. And I I feel like I lived through a pandemic, but it was a different experience than the one that the people of the 1918 um, influenza lived through because I didn't have the proximity to those people that were really suffering and dying Mm -hmm. in my community. It was left in the hands of just these few specialists nurses mm-hmm. and doctors yeah and All for that reason it workers, yeah. i mean i want almost wonder if for that reason because it was less visible um or misinformation could spread about it oh interesting yeah. um yeah i think yeah i think you're totally mm-hmm. correct yeah mm-hmm. did we really touch on this part of the question that was a long question but what <laughs> would you have done in his place put yourself in charles worthy's shoes uh would you have made the same decision um for myself i would hope I had listened to my wife. (laughs) (laughs) She was the conscience, I think, um, that Charles needed to balance with. He's he's thinking very practically, and he's thinking, we can make it through two months. I think we can do this. He was very gung-ho that, uh, you know, a short amount of pain was going to give us a lot of gain, and Mm -hmm. we were all going to be fine. And and she, she wanted to interject, okay, uh, 
where's the compassion in this? Where, you know, are, are, we, are we shutting off our hearts as well as our community when we isolate ourselves like this? Um, and then making, you know, making these men of the town who I, th- I think for the most part did not register for the draft, oh, yeah. right? that whole other uh, um, So thread. they were people who, if not COs, they were definitely not interested in the war mm-hmm. um, to make them become soldiers right. mm-hmm. in protecting this town. Mm-hmm. Good point. They weren't right, you know, and Philip, who was very young, yeah, he wasn't ready for that. Shouldn't mm-hmm. have been there in, in the beginning. Even Graham yeah. wasn't ready for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in many ways, they were totally unprepared. And and you know, just uh, to take it a little bit further, too, you know, you have suspicions among people in the community as things start to unravel. But also, there were the suspicions of the communities outside of Commonwealth, mm-hmm. who, when Commonwealth shut itself off. Uh, from the rest of the world and said, you can't come in. It, it, it just started things going in their mind. What are they hiding? Why, you know, must be a, bu- a whole bunch of those slackers in there mm-hmm. who don't want to sign up for the draft. Uh, we need to go in there and do something about it. And, uh, well, and it's, it's, that's that human nature of if I'm suffering, someone else should be suffering too. True. If, yeah. if things are hard on me, why isn't it hard on you? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. and, uh, if I my could, boy dies, I want, your boy to Your go boy to too. Die. He better mm-hmm. go too. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, that's human nature. I can totally understand that. Absolutely. I could, you know, just those, that woman who lost her daughter and then her son in the war. I just, oh gosh. and that man. Yeah. yeah. I'd be so angry. I I'd be so angry. Be what makes you guys special? Too. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. uh, the next question has to do with delusions. We've already touched upon it briefly, but the flu often caused its victims to experience delusions. What other examples of delusion, literal or figurative, can you find throughout the novel? The one that jumped out to me immediately was um, Graham reaches a point uh, as the uh, um, as the flu is starting to take hold in the community of believing that if we can just bump off our prisoner, Frank, this whole thing is going to end. And that becomes his mission. He, he, you know, very quietly, you can see him plotting and planning to uh, get himself into uh, where the prisoner is being held and doing away with him. In, like in, in the scapegoat kind of, yeah? Exactly. In the deluded belief that if we can just kill off this intrusion, that that will stop the flu in its tracks. And um, unfortunately, it is completely misguided Right. Uh, kind of belief. Yeah, that's a great example. And yeah, I wrote down that, uh, you know, Graham commits the second murder in part, quote, to maintain the purity of his earlier act, mm, which yeah. was the first murder. Mm-hmm. So he starts going down that path and then he has this justification in his mind. Mm-hmm. But I I thought that the the themes of both sacrifice and scapegoats were were big in this All book. All over the place, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they they also, um, so um, in our country, um, you know, they, they blamed Chinese, but pretty much any Asian worked, right? Mm. Um, this was the mm-hmm. Kung flu, this was from China. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. here in this book, it's the, it's the Germans, it's the Heinies, right? Yes. The, mm-hmm. they, maybe they made this and it's their They're fault. sending spies out to infect right, us infecting all. us. Oh, so you yeah. you have a scapegoat in that way, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is not just some act of nature. Mm-hmm. This has to have a reason. Right. And the next question has to do with that prisoner who uh, happened into Commonwealth. Um, Frank, uh, what is the significance of Frank? Why does Philip grow so attached to him? I would say, first off, you know, on a, on a just very human level, they spent a lot of time together because they were locked in together. Uh, the circumstances of Frank's entry into Commonwealth um, necessitated some quarantine within the quarantine. And so Philip and Frank ended up uh, sharing the same space for several days while uh, at least Dr. Baines hoped that if there were any kind of, um, if, if Frank were bringing any, infection into the community that this would be enough time for it to dissipate and it would be okay to let frank out and deal with him then mm-hmm. but philip having been directly exposed to frank he also had to quarantine at the same time and so they spent a couple of days locked inside a building with not 
really a whole lot to do. <laughs> I think they had a lamp and they had a fire in the fireplace and so they cooked up some ways to, they cards, to play. They right? had cards, that's right. <laughs> they got a deck of cards and gambled for twigs and, and um uh, um I would say just well, this makes me think of Stockholm syndrome. You know, when you're, you're when you're held against your will, oh. uh, you start to bond with the people who you're stuck with, mm. including other um, inmates, so to say. Uh-huh. So the fact that Frank and Philip struck up a a friendship is not surprising. Um, they they were stuck in a in a really difficult circumstance together, and they powered through it. And uh, I think that uh, was a chance for them to. Uh, talk a lot uh, to share a little bit about their lives, and 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 they actually ended up being kind of vulnerable to mm-hmm. to one another, and I think that's that's part of why they grew so attached. Yeah, and I think. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was gonna just reflect on the humanity that um, oh, yeah. Philip shows to Frank. Instead of shooting him, he has the idea. Well, I can take Frank back. Um, and we're going to quarantine Frank, and I'll get him some food. He, I mean, in his mind, just thought, well, I'll just take care of this kind of on the side. Nobody needs to know. Mm-hmm. But to me, that showed that he had humanity there and, and that that was mm-hmm. their first bond and that when they were together, like so many people that are together um, in pandemics, um, mm-hmm. what is that? There's a text from the Middle Ages, I think, from the plague where they're, they're all stuck together and they tell stories. Hmm. Uh-huh. I can't remember what it's called right now. Oh, was that the Decameron? Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's yes. from, I think it's Got from you. all the nights mm-hmm. that they had to oh, okay. tell stories, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll have to look that up, but I believe it was from that. So you think about how you are also stuck with that person and what do we do as humans, but we tell stories. And so, yes. um, you know, Philip, I think, kind of got a bit of an education from Frank Oh, yeah. Uh, when he learned about the what happened, like the real story of what happened mm-hmm. with the conscientious objector mm-hmm. and why Frank was there and that he wasn't really a spy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he was teaching him about the nature of violence, mm-hmm. I think, and what happens mm-hmm. when people commit acts of violence. So violence was another huge theme in this book, violence oh, yeah. and murder. Mm-hmm. And how how do you couch those in terms of how you understand them? Because one of the thing things that I wrote down was um, a quote that says, "War changes a man." And I think that uh, you know Frank thought that in saving the CO, even though he was committing an act of violence, mm-hmm. that that was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there's so much irony going on there because he's committing violence to save a conscientious. Objector, right? Who doesn't agree with violence in theory, and yet succumbs <laughs> to it in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when when he was just, it seemed like the CO just finally reached the outer limit of his ability to stay nonviolent. And uh, yeah, that's a pretty horrific scene in the book. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I think yeah. Frank treated him, treated Philip like an adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he probably in a way, enjoyed you know. That. I yes. mean, he. Mm-hmm. As an equal, as an equal, yeah. Because in other ways, Philip was—he you know, was crippled, and he was kind of considered weak. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think maybe Frank gave him a feeling of manliness. Mm-hmm. You know, are you going to kiss that girl? And mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that helped a little. They talked about very human things that Philip is going through right yeah. at the moment, and and he gave him a, a little different perspective, perhaps. And, and he was also crippled in terms of his his family, the loss of his mother, how mm-hmm. he had such an itinerant yeah. childhood where he mm-hmm. never had stability. I mean, I just think that the <laughs> the the violence I, I can't I'm trying to understand it in my my mind, but mm-hmm. uh I think Philip understands from Frank that when he killed that man, um that in some way he had killed himself when he killed the man, even though it was a protective act mm-hmm. um, and it was a life-saving act, but it still, right. it still had the, these uh, ramifications for himself. Um, and that Philip noticed that he had a lot of despair mm-hmm. and that um, Philip wondered like how much of Frank's despair came from the ramifications of the murderous act and how much was a reaction to the act itself 
I think you bring up a very good point that just made me think that with war propaganda, mm-hmm. you know, killing the evil enemy is good and yes. it'll make you feel like a hero. Yes. Right? And yet Graham and Philip and Frank and the CEO maybe all realize that no, it because yeah, you you think, okay, Frank killed a bad guy, right? A yeah. bully. Yes. Um, and so did Philip eventually. Yes. Mm-hmm. Kill a bully. But mm-hmm. that it was still a human being, whether they were good or bad. Mm-hmm. And that, that there's no, yeah, there's no redemption in violence. And I thought Frank was kind of significant in Philip's life in that he was sort of a second chance to do good. You know, with the, the, the first mm. confrontation with the first soldier that came up and tried to enter Commonwealth, you could see after that event, and, and you know, uh, Philip was there, but Graham actually did the killing. I mean, that, that that's crystal clear. But Philip carries some of the guilt, like, well, maybe we could have done this differently. Maybe we could have told him to just stand back and, and, you know, go down to that rock down the hill and, and, you know, stand, stand about 20 yards away. We'll bring some food down. And that way you'll, you'll be able to not starve and we can bring you a blanket and you could not freeze and then go away. Mm -hmm. And, and that would have been a peaceful or at least less murderous uh, ending to that whole situation. And I think maybe uh, the whole situation with Frank, the second soldier who comes up to the to the barricade and Philip is there and has to deal with the whole situation, he kind of saw it as a second chance to kind of redeem that, that awful first result. Maybe I can save Frank's life. Maybe I can just, you know, throw him a blanket and some food and he'll go away. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, it, it doesn't quite work out that way. But... Um, yeah, Frank is a pretty significant person in the book for Philip, and and the way his whole encounter with Commonwealth works out is it it really shifts the story in a big way. The next question has to do with Philip. Philip does eventually succumb to the flu, but he recovers. Were you surprised by his recovery? Why do you think the author allows him and the rest of the Worthy family to survive? And not to make too big a joke out of it, but I think their name is significant. They're the worthy family. Mm. <laughs> so maybe that's <laughs> why they survived. But um, again, I have to go back to, uh, you know, read versus reread here. Uh, obviously, I knew he was going to survive, but I think I was rooting for Philip a little bit harder the second go around. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, I think the actual uh, living through a pandemic as we have for the past couple years, brings um, brings that suffering into more immediate um, view. I don't know how else to say it. That uh, you you want to see someone as young and with uh, you know the the acres of potential that Philip has, uh, you know, and 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 factoring in as we've mentioned here, he had a rough childhood until he was adopted by the Worthies and. Uh, you just see so many good things happening in his life, in his world at that moment, and you want so much for him to survive. Um, in a nutshell, that's why I think the author chose to <laughs> let Philip live. What do you think, Josie? I don't know. That's a that's a hard one because mm-hmm. um, Elsie died. Yes, um, that was heartbreaking. In 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 my personal life, I guess, in just my own experience, I I have a real hard time with the idea of um, oh, you know, pray for this sick person and God will heal them. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm thankful for healing, um, mm-hmm. but I don't like to attribute it to God because mm-hmm. then I have to ask myself a question: Well, why? You know, what about this, this other person? person? Like my one. good friend Anne, who died yes. in 2019. Um, from cancer and you know why I'm so happy that people recover from cancer that's incredible it is but I'm not going to attribute it to God because I don't want to think that God took her mm-hmm. you know what was so I don't know I, I, I yeah. um, mm-hmm. I guess I try not to think about that it's just mm-hmm. something that happens mm-hmm. and now you know Philip was given this next chance right and he needs to make the best of it mm-hmm. Um but I don't, I don't assign worthiness to recovery. I guess mm. I can't mm-hmm. do it. Okay. Yeah, oh, no, I get it. Oh, I still remain sane. I guess. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, how has Philip developed by the end of the novel? Has his character progressed or regressed? 
having been, quote, stripped of so many things that he thought had defined who he was, close quote, how then should we view his prior experiences? This kind of segues in nicely to what you were just saying, that, that it, it does feel as though Philip's been given a second chance. What, what's he going to do with it? And, and what is that, how does that paint what's gone on before? And I would just finish that quote because I I, I thought this was one of the most beautiful parts of the book. And he goes on to write, and what would be left of himself and who he would be as he gathered the fleeting pieces as they tried to drift away was something he would somehow have the strength to accept and build something anew. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, Philip is an interesting character because he he had this itinerant lifestyle mm-hmm. and he came to this place called Commonwealth, which is another name that I think has meaning. Definitely. Yes. And he was taken in by this beneficent family mm-hmm. and finally felt like he had come home in a way and was being raised well and cared for in a way that he had never really felt with his own mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet here he is like put on a train to leave town because of what happened there and what he went through, mm-hmm. and he's cast off again in a way. Uh, so you could say, well, has he really? Has anything really happened in that interim period if he's kind of back where he started? But I think you can see that he's, when you're talking about gathering all the pieces, that there's something that's happened to him that he, in some ways this novel reminded me of a coming-of-age story Oh yeah, for, for Philip. Mm-hmm. And that he's going to gather up these pieces, and a lot of it has to do with, with learning about life and with learning about suffering and, um, and survival. And so much of what happens in this book is about survival and how we, we come back to survival. And I also wrote this other quote down that I, that I thought represented a lot of what's happened in the book. Um, it says, uh, you didn't survive to prove something to anyone. You didn't press on simply because you wished to. You didn't endure because of what the preacher at church said. You survived because deep inside everyone was the same indefatigable. I can't say that right. You survived because deep inside everyone um, was the simple indefatigable need to press on whatever the cost. And even with so much stripped away that you no longer recognized yourself, something was left, a part of you that you never understood, that you always underestimated that you were always afraid to look at. You were afraid you'd need it one day and it wouldn't be there for you. But in fact, it was the one thing that couldn't be taken away. And so I think he's kind of coming down. He doesn't have anything. He leaves again with nothing. And there's a relationship, I think, to this quote to wartime and when people are fleeing, like in Ukraine now, and they don't have anything and they're just, they're leaving. And so what did they take with them? They have this core that survives through these times with them. And, and then you come out the other side of these experiences and you're, you're changed, but I, I, I don't know. I'm having trouble like wrapping it up, but I do think mm. that mm-hmm. when we go through these times, we have to draw on something mm-hmm. that's innate in our nature. And it's not only with suffering from pandemics, but, it, but also wars. Mm-hmm. And what does that say about us? Yeah, I don't think you realize how strong you are until you're just at the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. and you hear about these people who who have near death experiences and and they, or that recover from terminal illness, right? You know, they they're different, mm-hmm. different, different people forever. Mm-hmm. And I think something is stripped away, and and what's what's at the core is all you have, mm-hmm. and you learn to. I don't. I don't know. It changes you. Yeah, that becomes your strength, perhaps. Mm-hmm. That, that you know, this is the one thing that can't be taken away. Yeah. As long as I'm alive, I'm I'm going to live. Right. And then that makes it so much harder to kill, right? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So has reading this novel changed your outlook on our own recent pandemic? Um, I'd have to say um, it's kind of the reverse, actually. I'd say the book really brought things into focus for me um, in that I could better understand what Thomas Mullen was conveying about the Spanish flu in in 1918, sorry. Um, But has it changed my outlook on the recent pandemic? I I would say I hope 
what I'm taking away is uh, an understanding that, yeah, this pandemic could do the same thing to me. I mean, we're not over yet. We're not done with this uh, COVID-19. Um, it could still make us all sick. It could still <laughs> take away people I love. Um, and what would happen to me when that is stripped away? Well, I think maybe the, the novel helps me appreciate that, yes, there is something at the core of our being uh, that as long as we're alive, uh, we can rely on as, as a strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's good to be reminded of when you're in the midst of a pandemic. Mm. Jana, your thoughts? Yeah, I added this question because it made me reflect not only on how much, I think, less suffering that we have experienced as a society comparatively due to our medical advancements oh, yeah. um, and then the removal of, of the suffering from our daily lives mm-hmm. in general. There were certain professionals that um, had that burden and mm-hmm. I'm grateful to them. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, as we like exit the pandemic, I, I wanted to just reflect on um, the scene in the book with the doctor that um, he had, he had seen a lot of people die and people mourn and suffer to unimaginable degrees, but he knew um, that if he were to see two strangers shake hands, that he would collapse into tears. And I think <laughs> that that quote yes. is sort of, re- uh, you know, representing how a lot of us feel now is that we're uncovering our faces and we're looking at each other anew, mm-hmm. and it's very different. And and just the like the wanting to have the contact again with people. And that we aren't taking that for granted the way that we did previously. Philip initially calls Graham a murderer for shooting the first soldier, but ultimately ends up shooting Bartram to save Graham's life. Is there a difference between their acts? Where does Philip and Graham's relationship stand by the end of the novel? Boy, where to start on that? Um, (laughs) (laughs) That was a hard one. Ah, yes. Uh, I have a hard time. I mean, it was both yeah. that both acts were protective. Yes. And it, it took um, a certain amount of courage to do both of them uh, to well, save others' lives. Well, okay. Is he saying you're a murderer because of Frank? It's not because of the first guy, right? I think it was actually Frank yeah. that, for for which uh, Graham well, that makes, got that's called a murderer. Different, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It does. Um, I don't know. We justify all kinds of things to ourselves. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure Graham thought he was doing the right thing. Oh, absolutely. I think that was the scapegoat scene where he thought Mm -hmm. that uh, he realized he wasn't a spy at that point. Right. But he killed pretty clear. He killed him anyway, partly to justify his prior act of Mm -hmm. the first murder, Mm -hmm. um, because maybe he felt like he, like you said, maybe was a delusion of like, well, we're we're guarding this town. I'm protecting my family and the yes. people of Commonwealth mm-hmm. by by killing this intruder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the second murder, I feel like he was trying to continue with that line of thought in order to uh, get rid of the person that could have been a threat. But I think that it was really, like you said, a delusion because... Mm-hmm. He knew he really wasn't a threat. He didn't have to kill him. Yeah, I thought it was um, clear by then that the 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 flu had come in by some other path than Frank's coming up to the barricade mm-hmm. and and being let in by Philip. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was pretty clear by then. But he was so stuck in that frame of mind. Graham was that. Um, yeah, I I think he scapegoated uh, yeah. the prisoner. And he said. Yeah, in his mind, he was talking about how it would re- it would protect the town. Mm-hmm. Um, he said he writes the second soldier had been a sacrifice. Graham reasoned the man's life had been sacrificed, but Graham too had sacrificed a part of himself, and that's him coming to to terms with that and the guilt. Mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. um, but he was still thinking he had killed the man to preserve everyone else, but it hadn't worked, and the deaths were piling on top. Mm-hmm. Or each death was piled on top of Philip's accusation of murderer, uh, giving it the horrible weight of truth. So I think, yeah, maybe he's coming to some kind of realization. But uh, but yeah, that that's a tough one. And then the fact that he he kind of gets off scot free in the end. Mm. Mm-hmm. It seems like it. Yeah, um, it seems like they all got off scot free. <laughs> well, except Philip, right? Well, yeah. he's banished. He's banished from town. But you know, I think that. 
perhaps, at least this is how I was reasoning it out, that he might have been given a pass because he was at the moment pretty sick. Oh, he's like, and he may, you yeah. know, they may think, oh, he was so deluded. You know, he was still recovering from the effects of the flu and he just, you know, picked up a gun and uh, shot what looked like a threat. Um, huh. I don't know. That's me reasoning. But the they, sent, I thought they sent him out so that the law enforcement wouldn't come for him. Right. Right. I think that's the case. He's, he's essentially on the lam yeah. at the end of the book. How about Philip and Graham's relationship? Where would you, where would you say they were at the end of the story? God, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished the book. I don't remember uh, what I'm, happened. Yeah, I think Philip, you know, through a lot of it, doesn't like Graham, is kind of questioning Graham's actions, mm-hmm. and then he does sort of repeat a violent act. I mean, it could be maybe considered more reasonable the act that Philip did, but they mm. just they're kind of on this weird trajectory. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, where he's questioning him, but then he ends up you know, doing something that's that's similar. Philip oh, idolizes yeah. Graham, though. At the very beginning of the story, yeah. oh, Graham's yeah. strong, Graham's capable. Yeah, that's true. He's admiring him. Right. Yeah. And I think he comes to the realization, yeah, that Graham's just as weak as he is. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, there are flaws in, in every adult, it seems, that, that Philip, you yeah. know, initially starts to admire. Right. He figures out, yeah, there's there's flaws in all of us. Um. But, you know, Graham's actions, the author says, uh, which was, you know, pulling the trigger, I think, for the first soldier's death or murder, Mm -hmm. had saved Philip from a similar fate. Hmm. And so maybe he's saying that it's, it could have happened to Philip if he had committed the first murder, that maybe there's like a domino effect. um, And how do you justify it? And then he was justifying it by these, you know, the next murder Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that, and that can be seen as a metaphor for the war as well, because once people start dying, you know, then, then we say, well, you know, this many people are dying. We need to fight back. We've, mm-hmm. we now have this big, we have to honor their deaths. We have a just cause now. Yeah. Yeah. We can justify killing because other people are killing. Uh, Yes. A prominent motif throughout this novel is that of starting over after experiencing loss Bearing this in mind, is your interpretation of the ending optimistic or pessimistic? Mm. Yeah, there's another thoughtful question. I, I, being the cockeyed optimist I am, I tend to think that uh, Philip's going off to, yes, it's, it's difficult being estranged from the family he's just gotten and uh, the opportunities he's been given uh, in Commonwealth uh, to mature, to learn a trade, or, or, yeah, I guess it's a trade, and uh, to be accepted as part of a family and a community. All of that's being stripped away again, and he seems to be... Uh, getting launched into the world without a whole lot of help. But um, I I tend to see him as having drawn strength from what he's been through, and he seems to be a resourceful young man, and uh, that I, I, I don't know, I have confidence he's going to find a way. But that's, mm-hmm. that's my optimistic frame of mind talking. Well, and I also wonder about you know, the town. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen to the town now? Will it survive? With all of this? Yeah. Um, they've been through hell. <laughs> they have, and they don't trust each other anymore. This is going to take a lot of healing right. and rebuilding and, you know, drawing more people in probably to, mm-hmm. to reach that critical mass to keep it going. Right. I think I'm still kind of grappling with all the violence in the book and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the relationship with, with Frank um, and Philip and what that means. And I think that it's confusing because Philip sees um, – Frank in that delusion Mm -hmm. and something that Philip says to Frank, you know, he's, you know, cause Frank is saying, well, I wish, I really wish I'd gotten to Germany. I would have killed all these heinies. Mm -hmm. That's what I wanted to do. I was supposed to do that. It was like taken away from me. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is after he's just gone on this thing about every man for himself Mm -hmm. because when he helped the CO, it didn't really help him. Um, It didn't, he, I mean, he, he got into like this big mess from trying to help and protect the CO mm-hmm. and it just, it spiraled. And so he has this every man for himself philosophy. But then um, when Frank is asking um, or when Philip is asking 
uh, Frank, well, what kind of soldier do you think I would have been? You know, Frank says you would have saved someone's life or died trying. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe there's a difference there um, with Philip, maybe a little bit of hopefulness um, that maybe he's got the character or he has the experiences now that he can contextualize this. But I do, I do also see a lot of darkness in the novel and Frank's philosophy that every man for himself and, and the fact that Frank, you know, he prefaces his tale of, um, of committing this murder to save the CO with the statement, I'm just like you, Philip. And so, and that thought chilled Philip mm-hmm. uh, more than the wind that cut through his coat. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's saying, I mean, part of it is just that, like, we can't know what we're going to do in certain circumstances that we're faced with mm-hmm. in life. And oftentimes we like to put morality on people and say, you know, you did a bad thing. Um and blame and all of these other things that come into it. But like when you're in war and you're in these like situations of survival, um, it's hard to put that lens on there because he's saying, you know, war changes people, violence changes people. Yes. Going through these experiences and the trauma is going to make somebody raid the garden and, and raid the general store and the and niceties go the out the window. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. what does that say about us as, mm-hmm. as people? Well, thank you, Jana and Josie, for a great discussion of The Last Town on Earth by Thomas Mullen. Our next book chatter pick is Nobody's Victim, Fighting Psychos, Stalkers, Pervs, and Trolls by Carrie Greenberg. Nobody's Victim is an unflinching look at a hidden world most people don't know exists, one of stalking, blackmail, and sexual violence online and off, and the incredible story of how one lawyer determined to fight back turned her own hell into a revolution. Nobody's Victim is available in print from our library and in ebook and e-audiobook formats from the Front Range downloadable library. So read or listen to the book and join the conversation. See our program notes for this episode for information on how to send us your comments, questions, and thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks for listening. See you next time on Book Chatter, the book club for busy people.